Let's take God's Word together this evening and turn once again to the New Testament book of Luke chapter 23. And tonight we are remembering the death of our Savior Jesus Christ. And, and uh, we can say so much of what we have as Christians comes down to this event, the crucifixion of Christ. In fact, uh, this event, the death of Jesus Christ, has become in many ways symbolic of our faith. And if you were to suggest one symbol that is, has been one to represent the, the faith of Christians today, throughout the ages it has been really the symbol of the cross. And the cross upon which Christ died, the symbol of the crucifixion, and that cross, we don't worship the cross, that's why we don't have a cross behind us, but the cross is symbolic of what happened, what Jesus came to do. He came to die, and not just die, but to die the most cruel of deaths. He came to die the death of a criminal, the death of, of, of which we all deserve. And in fact, until you come to recognize that it should have been you and it should have been me upon that cross of Calvary, you're, you don't really come into the position or the place when you're ready to receive Christ. We must see that cross. We must understand that death, that punishment, the cruelty of it all, or else we don't really understand grace. We don't really understand what we need until we see the awfulness of that cross. But it's on that cross there are so many lessons that we learn. We understand that it was upon the cross that Jesus died. It was upon the cross that our sins were dealt with, that God judged our sins in Christ. And today, if you've been born again, it's only because Christ died for all of your sins. Every sin that you ever committed, from the day that you were born until the day that you will die, every sin was placed upon Christ. Just like if you remember in the Old Testament sacrificial system, the priest would lay his hand symbolically upon the head of a goat, and that goat would be, one would be slain and one would be set free to carry, to bear the sins away. Well, Christ Jesus did both. He died our death and he carried away our sins as far as the east is from the west. And what happened on the cross? It was the only thing that could happen to redeem us. And if Christ did not die on the cross, then you and I are still in our sins. But he did. And we do have salvation. And our sins have been washed. We read in the scriptures that his blood cleanses us from all our sins. Not just some of them, but all of them. And his blood was poured out upon that cross. The scriptures in the Old Testament foretell of his hands being pierced. And they foretell of him being cruelly dealt with and ultimately crucified. And we find that record here in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And tonight we look at Luke's account of it. But I really want to draw your attention to one verse uh, this evening, verse number 34. These are, as best as we can tell, the first words that came out of Christ's mouth after he was nailed to that cross. There have been many books written about the sayings, the seven sayings of Jesus Christ. There are seven distinct phrases and sentences and seven times he spoke upon the cross and all agree that these were his first words. 
And I want you to consider them with me tonight. I believe in these words we find so much of, of uh, who God is, so much of who Christ is, so much of who we are, and so much of what we need. But I want you to examine this 34th verse with me tonight. And uh, let's just read it together, then we'll pray briefly again. And verse number 34, Then said Jesus, look at verse 33, And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, that's Golgotha, the place of the skull. We sing songs about Calvary, don't we? Years I spent in vanity and pride. We sing that beautiful hymn, At Calvary. The place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, we, look, we are looking at thy word this evening. It's not ours, but thine. We hold in our hands the holy book that has been given to us to teach us thy way, to teach us the truth that we need to know, and to tell us of what has really happened. Tonight we read of these words that came from the lips of our Savior. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We ask, Lord, that thy Holy Spirit would take these words and bring them into our hearts and into our minds this evening. Give us understanding. Give us clarity of thought. And may they mean something more than words on a page. May we see them as more than simply being recopied over and over again. But may we hear them tonight as from the lips of Christ himself. May we hear the voice of the Savior this evening. May thy Holy Spirit apply them. And may they bring victory to hearts tonight, we ask. For we ask it in Jesus Christ's words. Were the words of a prayer. Think about that. The first words out of his mouth, just seconds after the hammer knocked the nails through his hands. Probably blood still spurting. His first words were not a cry out in agony, were not... Words of self-pity, but his first, very first words were a prayer. I wonder what would be your first words after you had been so mistreated. Now, I remind you, he didn't just have a couple of seconds of mistreatment. He'd had, really, three years of mistreatment since he made his public appearance into this world and began performing miracles, many believe his first public miracle to be that of turning water into wine at the wedding of Canaan. And after miracle after miracle, the Pharisees and the scribes began with one intention, one desire to wreck and ruin his life. He was spoken evil against. He was, he was not just spoken against. He was defrauded. He was lied about. They sought to kill him. They tried to undo all that he did. And finally, after having enough, they arrested him. And the previous hours, many hours of his life had been reduced to the, to the worst amount of suffering that any human being had ever known. And I believe that was a most severe kind of suffering, physical, physically, mentally, and spiritually. 
We've read it a moment ago. The reality of what they did to him. We read of how they mocked him cruelly. We read how they beat him mercilessly. Flogged him. How they took a crown of thorns and jammed it upon his head and ripped the flesh from off his back. Plowed, as it were, furrows in his back with that whip. The cat of nine tails. We're told of how they spat in his face and ripped the beard from his chin. All of these things, really, as bad as those things are, all of those things pale in comparison to what he was enduring spiritually as the wrath of Almighty God was going to be poured out upon him for your sins. I, don't, I, don't, I really don't understand it. But if I was going to pay for the sins that I have committed, then I would have to spend eternity in hell. And if you were to pay for the sins that you have committed, the sins that you and I have committed are so severe and so, so real that what we deserve is hell itself. Now, sometimes we, do, we, we don't like to admit that. It's hard for us to understand that. And sometimes we like to sort of pat ourselves on the back and, and say, really, it's not that bad. And perhaps we can think that Adolf Hitler and Jeffrey Dahmer, Jack the Ripper, and people like this, they deserve hell and they deserve eternity in hell. But it's very hard for us sometimes to imagine that we deserve hell. That we deserve that. But it's also very hard to imagine that what Christ endured on that cross was equivalent, equivalent to eternity in hell for you and I. Now you think about how severe that punishment must have been. Think about how concentrated that punishment must have been that was poured out upon Christ in those hours. That it would take an eternity for you and I to endure took moments. How severe that must have been. And he begins... His words that have been recorded for us in Scripture are the words of a, pa- of a prayer. It reminds me that, pre- that pain, no matter how severe it can be, anger, no matter how righteous it may be, depression, sorrow, none of these things could stop Jesus Christ, the Son of God, from praying. You look here for a moment. I wonder, what is it that stops you from praying? What stops you? Satan's very clever, isn't he? Satan knows that if he can somehow come between us and our God, if he can somehow cut off that channel of blessing that we call prayer, if he can somehow sever that tie that binds our heart to God's, that tie of prayer that keeps us in communion with God, Satan knows that that is the channel through which communion is maintained and blessing is given and received, if Satan can somehow sever that, then he knows that he can really get victory in your life. Christ understood that and all the pain in the world and all the judgment in the world could not, could not stop him from praying. 
It's amazing. It was as if he couldn't help but pray. He lived. Jesus Christ lived in the spirit of prayer. It was as natural to him as breathing was. And so the more he was mistreated, the more he was abused, the more he prayed. The more you crushed him, the more prayer oozed from him. Sometimes we're the opposite, aren't we? Sometimes it seems the more difficult things get, the less we pray. Sometimes for us, Satan knows if he can, if he can somehow discourage us, then he knows we'll stop praying. Or if, or if we feel like God's not listening, then we'll stop praying. And Can you imagine what Christ was thinking then? Christ Jesus was like some of those spices, those spices that used to be used to anoint the bodies of priests or the bodies of, of the dead. And the more you crushed a spice with a pestle and a mortar, the more you crushed it beneath two stones, the more the fragrance freely flowed. The more you crushed the Savior, the more he prayed. What about you? Sometimes we think that God is being unkind to us when we go through difficulty, don't we? Sometimes we're tempted to think that God has somehow turned His back on us. And there's a couple of things in this text that we learn. And I want you to notice, look at the first word of His prayer. What's the first word? Father. Father. We learn something about the power of of sonship with that one word father he didn't say almighty God although God was almighty he did not say creator although he was indeed creator but he prayed just the way he taught us to pray our father which art in heaven And just think for a moment, beneath the crushing blow of God's wrath and indignation for our sin, Jesus never doubted that he was still the Son of God. Beneath the agonizing blow of God's wrath that should have been mine and should have been yours, Jesus never doubted. In fact, the most natural thing that came from his mouth was, Father... Under great pressure, under great burdens, we sometimes are tempted to think that maybe God isn't treating us like a child. Christ was being treated like a criminal. And the spiritual part of it all was being applied by the hand of his own father. Now don't you for a second think that God... The Father is a mean or cruel God, not at all. Not at all. This was a part of God's eternal plan. This was not God the Father being cruel. This was God the Father being just and lovingly just. The Bible says, He that knew no sin 
became sin, was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of Almighty God. Isaiah 53, it says very plainly, Surely He has borne our griefs, literally carried our griefs, carried our sorrows. We did esteem Him stricken and smitten of God. You see that? Stricken and smitten of God. If you could have seen spiritually what was happening on that cross, you wouldn't have seen a, a whip, a cat of nine tails ripping across His flesh. You would not have seen the burden of, uh, of the cross on His shoulders, but you would have seen the burden of sin. And the judgment of a just God crushing Him. The Bible said He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with we are healed. If you want healing... Healing for your soul and healing, every healing. That's why we read sometimes and we quote it so freely. The Bible says that Christ Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. But you don't get that without His stripes. He was oppressed, afflicted, but He opened on His mouth. The Bible says in the previous verse, in verse 6 of Isaiah 53, The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of the soul. The scriptures say he was stricken for us. He made his grave with the wicked. And in verse 10 it says, It pleased the Lord, Jehovah, to bruise him. Now that's not because God is some sick and twisted no, no, no. Jesus knew that as well. And so the first word out of his mouth was, Father. This had already been agreed in times past. This had already been agreed in eternity past that Jesus Christ would willingly come, willingly die for your sins. You remember the conversation that Christ had with his father just the night before? In the Garden of Gethsemane? Do you remember in fact, he fell on his knees. The Bible says he was in such agony then that his sweat was like great drops of blood. And you remember what he said? He fell to his knees and he said, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And the silence that came from heaven was a sign that it wasn't possible. That if you and I were ever to have any hope of salvation, Christ had to drink that cup. Father, Charles Spurgeon said this, our prevalence in prayer, meaning if we want to prevail in prayer, it depends much upon our confidence in our relationship to God. Let me say that again. Our prevalence in prayer depends much upon our confidence in our relationship to God. And Jesus, when praying, began by saying, Father, acknowledging He was the Son of God. And by the way, if you've been born again this evening, you are a child of God. Jesus taught us this. When you pray, He said, pray after this manner, Our Father... Through the cross of Jesus Christ, through the stripes of the Savior, 
we have sonship. We're no longer servants, the Bible says. We're his children. Let me give you a couple of verses. We read, we quote sometimes John chapter 1. You may be familiar with this beautiful verse. John 1 verse 11. He came unto his own and his own received him not, but as many as received him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to as many to them that believe on his name. Would you look here tonight? Look here. Do you believe on his name? Have you received him? Because the Bible says, as many as have received him. If you have believed on his name that Jesus died for you, for your sins, and you have received him as your Lord and your Savior, you've bowed the knee and acknowledged him as King of kings and Lord of lords. If you have done that, then you are a child of God. You're a son of God. The Bible says that we become joint heirs with Christ. I really don't understand that. But I believe it. Some things you don't have to understand to believe. I'm not really an an electrician. I don't understand how electricity works, but I believe it does work because we have it. I'm not a mechanic. I'm really rubbish at cars. I don't really know how it all works, but I believe it does work because when I get behind the wheel, put the key in the ignition and turn it, it starts up, put it in the first gear and drive, it works. And I don't really understand it all, but I do believe that if you call upon the name of the Lord, that you become a child of the God of creation. And you have a right now, you have a privilege to call Him Father. You read in Romans chapter 8, Paul giving us this beautiful chapter of victory. The previous chapter is a chapter, chapter 7 of Romans is a, cha- is a chapter of confusion, a chapter of honesty, a chapter of defeat. But Romans chapter 8 is a chapter of victory. It begins by saying there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Do you know many of the truths of God's word are truths that aren't necessarily felt but have to be claimed and believed. Some of the deepest, greatest truths of this book are truths that you can't really see with your eyes and sometimes you don't really feel, but you've got to lay hold on them and claim them because they're in His book, they're in His Word, and they are true whether you ever feel it or not. And here's one of them. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Later on in verse 13, If ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye live through the Spirit, if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are, the next three words, next four words, they are the sons of God. Do you know why sometimes we doubt? Let me let you in on a little secret. It's not really a secret, it's here in the Word plain as can be. Sometimes the reason we doubt is because we're not being led by the Spirit of God. And the more familiar we get with being led by God's Spirit, the more confidence we have that we are indeed the sons of God. That's what it says right here. To as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. It goes on. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. 
The same way that Jesus cried to the Father is what we can cry to the Father because of Christ Jesus' death on the cross. It's liberating. In fact, the opposite. If you don't enter into the adoption, if you don't grasp or begin to want to grasp this truth of being a child of God, you will live in bondage. You will live in, and, and the bondage that Jesus speaks about is the bondage to fear. Afraid of not knowing, afraid of, uh, of not being his child, afraid of not, of not having enough faith, afraid of not being good enough, afraid of, of not being, reaching up to his level, of living in fear. But look, we have not been given the spirit of fear, the scriptures say. No. We've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we've received the spirit of adoption. And by that spirit, we can cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together what a promise now the same thought is given in galatians chapter 4 and verse number 4 but when the fullness of time was come god sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons look here uh, friends christ came to redeem those who were under the law he came To set us free, to purchase us from out from underneath the law that was condemning us. And it's the law that was a schoolmaster that showed us our sins, revealed us our brokenness, revealed the darkness of our hearts, the twistedness of nature. The law showed us that, but the law couldn't save us. And Christ came to purchase us blood and bring us out from underneath of the law and set us free. That's what it says. So we can receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart saying, Abba, Father. Now here's an amazing truth. Think about this. The Father sends the Holy Spirit. And it's the spirit of the Son. It's the spirit of Christ that lives within us so that we can say with confidence, you're my Father. No longer my judge. The spirit of Christ. Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Praise God. You're a child of God. In the garden, he cried, my father. When he was teaching his disciples, he cried, my father. When he went up to the mountain alone to pray, he cried, my father. He he was so accustomed to praying, so accustomed to speaking with his father. Such a clear, clean line of communication. May we never be brought. Now, I want you to remember something. Catch this quickly in this text. Because Satan is the accuser of the brethren, I remind you. And he labors day and night to accuse you before the throne of God. And he also labors day and night to accuse God in your mind and accuse you to one another. But here's one way that he works in our mind. Here's what he does. He comes up to us just like these soldiers and people came to Jesus on the cross. If thou art the Son of God. You know what they were questioning? The reality of his sonship. If you really are the Son of God, why are you on a cross? 
Sometimes Satan says, if you really are a child of God, then why would he let this happen to you? Why would you be going through this in your life if you really are a Christian? If you really are God's child and supposedly God is a God of love, then why would he ever let this happen? You ought to just dispel that as quickly as you possibly can. Recognize it as the voice of the enemy. Purge it from your mind. Wash it from your memory. And do not doubt your sonship that you indeed belong to him. By the way, that's spiritual bondage to be questioning whether you are a child. We ought to freely believe that we are indeed a son of the living God or a daughter of the living God. Now go back to this phrase. Then said Jesus, Luke 23, verse 34, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them. Now I want you to think about this prayer for just a moment. At the height of human suffering, In the darkest hour of the earthly existence of Jesus, Jesus did not think about himself. He thought about you and me. At the weakest moment of his life, by the way, there are some people who don't like Christianity because they think that Christianity is a weak faith because our Savior bled and he died. Do not understand. Just see the strength in Christ that beneath such suffering and agony and pain, he was able to turn his eyes from off of his own pain and look upon not just you and I, not just upon his followers who were standing at a distance, not just upon the women that followed him at a distance, but looking upon the ones who literally drove the nails in his hand. He was able to look upon his enemies. The ones just a moment ago who convicted and condemned him as guilty and as a criminal, he was able to look upon them and say, Father, forgive them. First time somebody hurts us, we start praying those precatory prayers like David. Oh, God in heaven, be just, rain down fire from above. We want to be like James and John. And we think we have biblical, a biblical reason to pray such things. We're going to be like Elijah, raining down fire from heaven on 850 false prophets. And you think we're justified in doing it. Next time you think like that, hear Jesus' words. Hear the words of Christ spoken to the very people who hated him with such vengeance, with such hatred. Hear him as he looks at people whose eyes were bloodshot with anger towards him. Who were giddy with laughter that finally they were murdering this man that they hated so much. And hear him say, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. In this one verse... We learn something about God that is so contrary to human nature. You know know what human nature says? Don't you dare forgive somebody unless, unless they come crawling back on their knees. Groveling. In fact, I've heard people try to say that. I've actually heard, I've heard preachers actually preach that, that you should never forgive somebody until they are repentant. Well, I'm so glad that that's not the line that God took, aren't you? I've, heard, I've actually heard preachers say that. 
I've actually heard people who think that they're good Christians actually teach that, that we shouldn't forgive anybody until they are repentant. If that were the case, every single one of us would be in a long queue on our way to hell. Every one of us. If we only received forgiveness when we were repentant and came groveling back on our knees, by the way, then we would have a part in our forgiveness, wouldn't we? Then we'd be able to stand up and say, well, I'm glad I did that because if I didn't do that, then I, then I wouldn't be forgiven. We'd be able to pat ourselves on the back and talk about how good we were at our repentance. I'd be the king of repentance. And I'd have some claim to my salvation. But here were a people who were not at all repentant. Not at all sorry. And they were guilty. They weren't even thinking about being sorry. They didn't ask him to pray for them. They didn't want his prayers. Father, forgive them. We hear and learn so much about the heart of God the Father from just this one verse. Forgive them. And do you know that prayer was answered? Because when you begin to read how Peter stood up just a few days later and he began to preach, he said, you by cruel and wicked hands have crucified the Son of God. And do you know how many Jews were saved? Who were forgiven? In fact, we read on later on that many Pharisees believed on his name. And not just that, but even Gentiles began to believe on his name. And here we are 2,000 years later, and millions have believed on his name because Jesus, the first words out of his mouth were, Father, forgive them. And if Jesus thought like we think, he would have never prayed that. And we would not be here today beneath a canvas tent worshiping the only Son of God. The only begotten Son of God, pardon me. We would never be here today had He not prayed, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now you might be tempted to think, well, they knew what they were doing. All of them performed miracles. They heard what He said. They heard the voice of God from heaven and they saw the Spirit of God descending upon them like a dove at His baptism and heard the voice of God the Father saying, This is my beloved Son and whom I am well pleased. They saw Him turn the water into wine. They saw Him raise Lazarus from the dead and that's why they wanted to kill Lazarus and Jesus. They knew exactly what they were doing. What did Jesus mean when He said that forgive them for they know not what they do? There is a measure of ignorance in all of us. Oh, there's a measure of willful sinfulness, isn't there? Believe me, we know, we know full well oftentimes what we do, but we don't recognize. We are so foolish, so blind, so dead in trespasses and sins that we have no conception of what actually is taking place and where we are taking ourselves to. Forgive them. They know not what they do. You remember the day when God opened your understanding? Do you remember the day when God, by His Holy Spirit, pulled back the curtain in your own mind and you began to realize what you were doing? You began to realize the life you were living and where you were headed and what you had done? It was as if, I don't know about you, but it was as if I was holding that hammer on that day when Christ was crucified and I began to realize that I was amongst them. 
I began to feel the guilt of my own sin and the, and the responsibility of the death of Christ because it was for my sins that he died. Then my ignorance was turned from ignorance to understanding. Some of you tonight are feeling like, I don't know if God, if Jesus died for me and I don't know if God can forgive me. Would you look this way for a moment? Listen to him pray. Father, forgive them. These people had no idea. These people did not ask for prayer. They weren't interested in forgiveness. You are. You're here tonight. You want to be forgiven. You want to be saved. And, and you doubt whether he wants to forgive you. You doubt whether he will forgive you. He prays for those who are not interested. And even today, 2,000 years later, he still is interceding at the right hand of the throne of God. Still praying for lost souls. Still interceding and you doubt whether he wants to save you, whether he wants to forgive you. Hear these words, Father, forgive them. And dare to believe that he wants to forgive you. Willing to forgive you. Ready to forgive you. Even tonight, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believe that as he hung and bled there on the cross of Calvary, that as the wrath of God was poured out, it was for you. Believe that when he said, Father, forgive them, that what he was saying was, Father, forgive Derek. Father, forgive whatever your name is. Believe it. Believe it. Some people say, oh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how you can read this account and not know. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, can I leave you with a little bit of a warning? A little bit of a warning. If you can sit tonight... And hear about how Christ was treated and how he bled and died for your sins so that you might be born again, so that you might be given a new heart, a new life. If you can hear about it and know that you've sinned against him and know that it was upon the cross uh, that he died for your sins and you can hear this so clearly given and yet you still tonight walk out of here and say, nah, nah. I don't know how long Christ can say, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I don't know. When you can begin to understand what he's done for you, what he will do for you, and yet you refuse by faith to come. I don't know. I don't know how long that invitation extends, and I don't know how long that, that's going to stand for you. Because the more you understand to whom much is given, much is required. Tonight, would you stop playing games? Putting it off and stop hesitating. And would you rather instead, would you not rather bow the knee humbly tonight in contrition before Almighty God and acknowledge that Jesus actually died for you? That God in heaven actually loves you? That He bore your sins and is willing to forgive you tonight. Will you come to him by faith? No one has ever been saved until they've come to Jesus by faith. That is the pathway. That is the way. And so I 
call you. And like the Apostle Paul said, I command you, God hath now, at, at the times of these ignorance hath God winked, but now hath God commanded all men everywhere to repent. God was able for a while to wink at our ignorance, but now, tonight, today, He's commanding you, turn from your sins and come unto Jesus and be saved. Will you this evening Stop putting it off because the more you put it off, the harder your heart will get. Harden not your heart, the Bible says, as in the day of provocation. For today is the day of salvation. Would you not rather call upon Him now? Would you not rather enter into forgiveness tonight? Why wait another day? Why wait any longer? Is your heart beating as if it were to explode from your chest because you can't bear to wait a moment longer than right where you sit, humbly bow your head and say, Father, forgive me. Have mercy upon me. Dare to call Him Father. And by faith believe that as many as received Him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God. And start walking in sonship tonight rather than an enemy. I wonder how many days I've wasted trying to convince myself that I was actually a child of God. I wonder how many days I've wasted because I haven't been able to, by faith, enter into the sonship that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. The more we understand that we are what we are in, in Christ, we have what we have because of Christ and it's all in Him, the more we understand that, the more we will see ourselves in Him and Him and us. It's an amazing paradox, you could say. Us in Christ and Christ in us. It's wonderful. That's where we need to dwell. That's where we need to live. Like Jesus Christ, all that was accomplished on the cross could never be talked about in one evening, couldn't be talked about in one year. In fact, we're going to spend eternity trying to talk about it all. When we get to glory, we'll sit at the feet of Jesus Christ. We'll see Him. I cannot wait to see Him face to face. Can you? For all eternity, we'll hear him talk about the victory that was won on that great day that we call Good Friday, Good Thursday, call it what you want. On that great good day that Jesus died for us, we'll hear about it for eternity. We'll celebrate it. So why not start now? Why not remind yourself with, of these truths that never change? There's a reason God gave you his book written in ink. Did you know that? There's a reason he gave it to us. So that when you begin to doubt and, and the voice of Satan cr cries louder, you can run back to the word of God that never changes. There's our anchor. We read it over and over again. This is reality. The thoughts that come into your mind are not reality. This is reality. Your feelings are not reality. This is reality. And every once in a while we need a reality check with God's word. Over and over again. Though you be plagued with a million doubts, run over and over again a million times to the word of God that tells us the truth about who he is and who we are and who we can be in him. And oh, please remember, keep that line of prayer of communication open. Keep uttering that word, Father, Father, Father. Remind yourself you belong to Him and He belongs to you. Would you bow your head with me in prayer? I wonder tonight, do you know Him as your Lord and Savior? Can you say with confidence that He's your Father?
I don't always do this, I do occasionally, but I wonder tonight if you believe that you are a child of God, would you raise your hand? Acknowledging, good, thank you, you can put it down. I wonder tonight if you'd be honest enough to say, I don't, I'm not going to embarrass you, but you'd be honest enough to say, I don't know if I'm a child of God. Would you raise your hand? You don't know. Anyone? Not quite sure, thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Father, please help us not to say that flippantly. Father, we pray for those tonight who are still dead in their sins, still in bondage. And maybe they're in bondage to fear tonight. We ask of thee this evening to break those chains help them Lord to see what has been accomplished at the cross of Calvary help them even now to see their own sin being taken from off of their shoulders and placed upon that perfect back of our Savior Help them to see and to believe that Jesus Christ paid it all. Help them to hear the words of the Savior crying, Father, forgive them. And I pray that this evening, these who are not sure if they are indeed thy children, I pray that this evening, they would be brought from death to life. They would be able to sing like we sang at the beginning. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, Father, please, save their souls. I pray for my brothers and sisters here tonight. Those of us who are thy children, help us to never to doubt that we belong to thee. Help us to live in the truth of the adoption. Help us, Father, to keep praying even when the burden of pain and suffering, perhaps even the burden of chastisement, help us to continue believing that we are thy children, never doubting. Help us as well to learn that as our Savior was so willing to forgive us, that as you, Almighty God, was so willing to forgive us, how much should we be willing to forgive those who have sinned against us? How quickly and freely we ought to forgive, even in the moment, even in the heat of it all, not when things calm down, but immediately. Teach us how to forgive. Give us the same compassion that Jesus Christ has given to us. Guide us with this, we pray. Empower us with these truths and use us for thy glory. For we ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.